Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. I'm Sarah and today I'm going to be taking you on a very strange journey with a book that I didn't think that I was going to read and then I sort of accidentally did. The book in question is The Witches by Peter Curtis and uh, I actually found this book in the library. Uh, my mum works in a library. I popped in just to waste a bit of time and this was in the large print section with its cover facing out so obviously I saw it I saw that it said the witches and then I read the blurb which was this when it becomes clear that one of her pupils is being abused by her grandmother Miss Mayfield is determined to do something about it but Ethel won't say anything despite the evidence of Miss Mayfield's own eyes and someone seems to be actively discouraging her from investigating further as she tries to get to the truth of the matter however Miss Mayfield stumbles on something far more sinister Warwick is in the grip of a centuries-old evil, and anybody who questions events in the village does not last long. Death stalks more than one victim, and Miss Mayfield begins to realise that if she's not careful, she will be the next to die. So that's very dramatic. Uh, and it says uh, Hammer Horror, it has Hammer Horror branding on it, so I assumed that it was tied into a film of some sort. Uh, and obviously I didn't want to read it in large print because... I, I don't need large print and I would feel guilty about taking a large print book from the library because they have quite a small selection. So I went online and I bought a copy for about two quid from, you guessed it, it's eBay. And it arrived and I quickly realised that the actual cover was quite misleading. At this point I am going to give some trigger warnings for the book. Obviously as you heard in the blurb it does include some discussion of potential child abuse. There is also child abuse in the book, uh, as well as quite a lot of gaslighting of the mentally ill and attempting to lock them up, like involuntary commitment. Um, so be warned as you go into this. So the book itself is actually set in 1959. It was published in 1960 and the actual author of the book is not Peter Curtis. Peter Curtis is fictional. The actual author is called Nora Lofts, who has apparently published quite a lot of novels her bibliography page on wikipedia is mahusive and a lot of them seem to be like historical novels and things and then i guess she published this as a sort of gothic kind of culty murder story um as a more sort of commercial effort there are some other novels published under the name of peter curtis and this novel uh the witches has actually been published by several titles previously uh known as the devil's own the Little Wax Doll and Catch as Catch Can, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. I didn't realise that the book was actually set in the 1950s, the late 1950s, or that it had in fact been written in the 1960s because the cover is a generic kind of gothic teen romance cover. There's a wrought iron gate and a forest beyond it and then a very sexy young lady in a black dress with long black flowing hair is walking into the forest with her back to us, which... I don't know where they decided to get that cover from, aside from, I'm guessing, a free book cover place, because the actual protagonist of the novel is a 44-year-old school teacher working in Essex. So about as far away from the image on the cover as you can get. And nothing about the actual branding of the book or the blurb tells you that it's set in the past, which was quite a shock because obviously when you're reading it, it is written like a novel about satanic witches written in the 1960s, i.e. it is very slow, it's full of a lot of people eating finger sandwiches and drinking tea, and a lot of things to do with shillings and the postal service are talked about, which did not exactly give me the thrills and chills that I was looking for. 
I was a little bit confused by the fact that it was quite a modern edition of the book um, and looked up, you know, what the film was that was meant to be attached to this because this book, the, the one I'm having, like, holding here, was published in 2011. So I was like, did a film of this come out around that time? Because the only other Hammer Horror book that I've ever had was for The Resident, which was a film that came out, I think, in, like, 2008. And the book came out at the same time, so I had both. So I went looking to see if there was a film of this from, you know, 2011, and there is not. The film of this book was made in 1966 and starred Joan Fontaine from the, the film of Rebecca, which quite a famous film. My mum loves it. She keeps trying to make me watch it, and I think I've seen it already once, but I'm not going to watch it again. I was a bit confused as to why there was a modern edition of this book, but I decided to go with it because at this point I'd already bought it and started to read it. So I thought, you know, I quite like a conspiracy book set in a small village in a sort of hot fuzz, the wicker man kind of way. And those are two very different films. They are not the same. Don't go out of this thinking that they're the same film because they're not. And because I sort of obviously know a bit about The Wicker Man because it's quite a popular film about like witchcraft and cults and things. It's quite a culty horror film. So I looked that up and I was like, actually, when did that come out? Because I feel like that came out in the 70s and not the 60s, which is when this book and film came out. And I was correct. The film The Wicker Man, like the original, not the Nicolas Cage, oh God, not the bees remake. The original film came out in 1973. And then the book which was a novelization of that film came out in 1978 so this actually predates that but seems to be about quite a lot of the same things and set in a sort of similar fashion so that got me interested and I was like oh okay I'll give this one a read the back cover of the book calls it flesh creeping the daily telegraph and intensely suspenseful powerfully underplayed and subtly authoritative from the new york times and I don't know what book they read but it may not have been the same one that I just finished. Um, sadly, it doesn't really live up to my hopes for it, although I didn't really go into it knowing a super huge amount of what it was going to be like. It was quite slow going plot wise. And then the midsection just kind of takes a nap, which is very odd. So the book starts with Miss Mayfield, the um, main character, the 44 year old school teacher who is not a gothic waif, as the cover would have you believe. She wants to move from an inner city school um, in England to the countryside. She's been offered an interview for a job at a private little village school in this little village called Warwick. And she goes along to the interview. She gets accepted. They give her this lovely cottage in the village. Everyone's really friendly. There's a woman who comes to her house and is like a domestic servant who she doesn't have to pay. It's paid for by the school. And she's finally living alone as opposed to with some very strange other teacher roommates. And she like literally thinks that she's won the jackpot because this is the best job that she's had since returning to England from teaching in Africa for a number of years uh, with her friend who started like a missionary out there. Obviously, you quickly find out that things are not all great in this village. Uh, one of the students, a little boy, comes to her with concerns that his friend, a little girl, is being mistreated by her grandmother who she lives with. She tries to intervene and tries to step up on this kid's behalf and confront the grandmother and find out what's going on. She keeps getting kind of talked down from taking action 
and she finds out in a sort of roundabout way that the last time this little boy raised these concerns his mum went over and had a word with the grandmother only to be struck down by a case of the shingles which is like super bad adult chicken pox that's painful and can potentially like kill you so that's all a bit weird and she has some weird feelings about that but she continues to try and intercede on this child's behalf even though the little girl doesn't seem to want any help and she keeps telling her that she loves her grandma and nothing bad has happened to her uh, and more bad things keep happening essentially to people who try and help this little girl and who act against this grandmother and things finally reach ahead when the little boy who initially raised these concerns is kind of made ill in some unspecified way he goes into a coma they take him to hospital his mum comes back from the hospital to visit the village and then suddenly he's well but she is now very close buddy buds with the spooky old grandma and refuses to talk to the school teacher anymore so it's very clear that she's kind of switched allegiances she's gotten in with the grandma and whatever doings she might be doing to save her son and this just makes miss mayfield more and more certain that something is going on and then that woman's husband is found drowned in like two inches of water in a field and all the local farmers kind of gather around and go ah that's suicide that is and she's like what are you talking about it's like two inches of water why would he choose to kill himself by laying flat in a puddle it's all very suspicious and i felt like the tension at that point was ramping up quite nicely there were things going on she had at least mentally had the realization i think that the grandmother here might be a witch uh, she kind of thought that she was being a bit mad to think that but at the same time she couldn't really deny it so I was like oh okay so at least we're not going to blather on throughout this book not talking about what it is we're talking about here unfortunately at this point about a third of the way in Miss Mayfield is at school she's uh, clearing out her desk because she's determined to speak at this man's inquest and say that it wasn't suicide and that something weird is going on and so she knows that she'll lose her job She's clearing at her desk and then the lid of the, the heavy wooden desk falls on her head and like basically bashes her nose in and she falls down and cuts her head open. She wakes up in hospital with no memory of anything that's happened over the last like three years since she came back from Africa. She doesn't know the village. She doesn't know anything that's been going on and she doesn't have any visitors, but people keep sending flowers. And then the guy, um, the canon who is in charge of the school in the parish, he sends her a letter saying basically she's going to be sent to live with some people he knows by the seaside so that she can recuperate and that she can stay there as long as she has to and he'll pay for it and it'll all be fine but then once she gets there she starts to get some odd feelings about the people who she is staying with they keep trying to convince her that she's losing it even though the only thing wrong with her is that she's lost some of her memory like they go out to the shop and they put things in her pocket and then they say that she's shoplifted without realizing it and at night they lock her in her room and they try and stop her sending letters and she thinks that they're stopping letters from reaching her so she's a bit suspicious as she would rightly be she runs away she goes back to the village and then instantly recovers her memory upon getting back there and then realizes that she has been a victim of actions by this weird witch cult You'd think that at that point the story would become a lot more interesting because I don't know about you, but there is nothing more boring than a story halfway through which 
one of the main characters loses their entire memory of the plot because you just lose all momentum. You're sitting there going, I know what's happening. I am the reader. I want to know. I want to see where this story is going. And they're sitting there like they haven't even done page one yet. They are a non-character at that point. It was very frustrating. Sadly, it doesn't really recover any momentum after that point. She does go back to the village. She pretends that everything is fine, that she's going to keep her mouth shut, that she's not going to stick her nose in anyone's business. But she is still very aware that she can't trust anyone in the village. Anyone might be in on this witch malarkey. And the little girl is still very much in danger. She hatches quite a long and convoluted plan, which is quite dry reading, but ends with her... Uh, attending the sabbat of the witches at Halloween to videotape them essentially uh, or to take pictures it wasn't very clear of what she was doing because at one point in the proceedings she seemed to be taking photographs and then at another point she said that she was filming so I don't know what happened but essentially recording evidence of what these witches are getting together and doing and then she tries to save the little girl manages to get her away and then the book just sort of ends there. Um, there's a bit after that where like, the escape from the coven is detailed. And then you find out sort of the reasoning behind the establishment of the coven. Uh, and then the teacher sort of decides, well, she's got this evidence and she can secure safety for the little girl and for herself. And then the book just stops. There is no more. And I was left kind of wondering what the point of the book had even been because honestly it hadn't really scared or intrigued me in any way so it wasn't a horror in the traditional sense neither was it an interesting kind of thriller um so it, it wasn't either of the things that the wicker man really is it was sort of like a proto wicker man where they hadn't really realized the point of the story yet or what was meant to be so horrifying about it I don't know if this is because obviously it was written in the 1960s and therefore is a lot tamer than some of the other things that I've read around this sort of subject because it does come across as almost kind of twee even at the end where she's like photographing them having this like massive orgy in the church and you know they're like drinking and there's some sort of idea that there might be some sort of drugs coming from the censor that are making them all like wild and crazy and they've got this like naked girl who they've taken the robe off and they're preparing to maybe sacrifice or maybe someone's going to have sex with her or something like that would be quite shocking but that doesn't actually happen um it's just a lot of people just drinking and having sex in a church and this drives poor Miss Mayfield nearly sick to her stomach with horror. And I'm just sitting there reading it like, it's 2019. This isn't really as shocking as a lot of the things that you see on the news now. And that's quite sad in its own unique way. Something about the way it's written is just kind of extra dated to me and made it at times a little bit difficult to follow what was happening in the sense that a lot of people just talk differently and they use different idioms that I wasn't familiar with. Um, and also that they don't really react to things in a way that I guess people react to things now. And I'm honestly not sure if that is just the writing being a product of its time or it was bad writing then. Um, but, for example, on page 73, um, the little boy is up in bed. The dad has just said, oh, yeah, he's upstairs sleeping nicely. And his wife, who's a nurse, goes up to check on him and says, can you get Miss Mayfield a chair? I'm going to go, you know, check on our son. Then this happens. 
Wesley Baines brought in one of the chintz-covered chairs and Miss Mayfield had just sat down when Mrs Baines came blundering down the stairs. Her nose and a band all around her mouth were chalky white. Dozing nicely, she said in a voice of intense bitterness. The child's in coma. Dr MacDonald, my purse. She snatched it up and rushed for the door. Wesley Baines reached out a long arm. M, love, you said, you just re- you said you'd ring him on your way to the school, didn't you? Of course I did. He said he'd be here at five, but... Then he's on his way now. Ringing him again won't do no good. Oh, he's like you. Thinks I'm fussy. Said five just to put me off. I'll give him five. She pulled herself free and went through the door and along the garden path, running with the clumsy speed of some creature out of its own element. Her husband stared after her. He just looks sort of sleepy and peaceful to me, he said in a puzzled voice. What she mean in coma? Do you know? Unconscious, I suppose. I don't really know, Mr Baines, but I'm sure your wife would. There'd be some difference in the pulse all the breathing. So I found that exchange very strange. Uh, and I actually had to ask uh, my parents who obviously were alive in the 60s, you know, did people not know what coma was back then? Because I feel like no one is reacting. Like if you come downstairs now and say like, little Jimmy's gone into a coma. I'm pretty sure one, everyone would understand what that meant. And two, everyone would understand how serious that is. And how you need to get an ambulance like, right fucking now because you don't know what the hell's going on but it's nothing good his wife's a nurse and she doesn't even really seem to react like there seems to be some question of whether she's going to go and ring for the doctor again and all right they're in kind of a a secluded village but i still don't really understand why she wouldn't try and call him again at least or like run outside and see if she could see him or go next door to the person who actually has a car and go i need him to get to hospital like now the fact that her husband doesn't know and miss mayfield who is a school teacher uh, like a 44 year old school teacher who should probably know what a coma is also doesn't know and doesn't seem to be reacting in any way that conveys their worry is very strange to me the kind of slightly confusing dated language isn't really helped by sometimes the dialogue gets really confused sometimes speech marks are just missing sometimes new dialogue from a new person is on the same line as old dialogue from the previous person sometimes part of a sentence is speech and part of it is just thinking but that isn't really clearly delineated either um so that felt a bit strange and this is probably just quite petty of me but on page 165 there is a typo and obviously there are books that are published that have like one or two typos in them it just happens because people aren't machines and they can't always catch everything but this book has been in print since 19 19- 59 and then was reprinted in 2011 and you'd think that someone would have noticed that this section says this she had the bottle in her hand and was bringing her head out from under the slope of the desk lid when the little wedge either slipped or collapsed and the lid came down and struck her an incredibly painful blow across the bridge of her hose which made me giggle for at least a minute because It just seems like such an obvious thing that you would spot because it's in quite an important sentence. Anyway, that's just probably me being mean. So between the the obviously quite dated subject matter writing and the fact that it's written in such a way that is just a little bit kind of slow and a little bit dull, especially given that some of the paragraphs are like a page long and it's just a person talking about like, going to the market to buy stockings it's just a little bit 
of a, a boring book and maybe not one that I would suggest you go out and buy and read for fun but I think it is quite an interesting one if you were really interested in the Wicker Man like the novelization of the film and the film it would be really interesting to compare and contrast those in your mind definitely from like a, a sort of study perspective I have ordered a copy of the film because it was 99p on eBay and who am I to say no I'm going to give that a watch and might do a separate episode on that because I understand that it is quite a bit different in terms of the plot and the way it's put together so I'm going to do a separate episode on that but I am quite glad that I read this and got to experience a sort of different type of witch literature albeit a type of witch literature in which witches are crazy people who sacrifice children and have orgies in churches in that very kind of satanic panic um fake satanism kind of way like you know where people just make stuff up and print it because it's sensationalized and it sells papers so i wouldn't say that this gives much witch fulfillment in terms of actually being about anything that witchcraft is and also as a thriller that features kind of occult elements it does again fall kind of flat so a bit disappointing but if you have an academic interest in uh, the wicker man and films slash books like it then this one might be one to give a go just to satisfy some sort of academic interest in your mind but as far as reading for pleasure goes i would probably give it a miss i hope you've enjoyed this episode you can get in touch in the usual ways which is twitter at witchfix or gmail which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com let me know if there's any other books and things that you'd like me to look at and if you would appreciate an episode on the wicker man the good one and the wicker man the nicholas cage one which i could definitely do although it would mean watching the nicholas cage film again which um I first saw when I was 15 at a sleepover and it didn't scare me then and it was like nine hours long and everyone was like why did you even get this for blockbusters and I I had nothing to say in my defence. But let me know if you'd like to put me through that again. In the meantime I'll see you in the next one. Bye!